Hi, this is Elise. I'm bringing an offering of true horror, kindly shared by you, every episode of this podcast. And then it got weird. Honestly, I have a bunch of crazy or unexplainable stories to tell. However, one of the ones that comes to mind goes like this. This happened roughly two years ago, when I was 21. I was known for dealing with various substances at the time. I was living with my mom and dad. It was just us three. One morning, I get a call to bring some stuff to this guy at his house roughly 30 minutes away. I grab my pistol for protection reasons. Then me and my female friend get in the car and drive over there to the dude's house. As soon as I was pulling up to his house, I get a call from my mom. I answer. She is clearly freaked the hell out, panicking. She says it sounds like someone is in the house. So she locks her and my dad up in their room. I tell her I'll be there as soon as I can. At this time, the guy who I was meeting had just walked up to my car window. I tell him there's an emergency, that I had to go, like now. He then tries to have me come inside for a second to make sure the stuff is right, so to speak. (laughs) My family is more important to me though. Bye. I go to pull off. He's like, no, wait. Hands me the money. Done deal. I speed off and make it home in half the time, all while on the phone with my mom, ensuring that she's okay the whole time. I grab my pistol and rush inside the house. Here's where the stuff gets creepy. I open the door with my pistol drawn out, not knowing if someone was lurking in my house still or not. I feel like the Terminator as I'm clearing the house out, checking for anything and everything out of the ordinary. I get to my room. The room is completely trashed. All drawers open and gone through. Window open. Laptop open on the bed. Someone was clearly in there recently, looking for something real specific seemingly. I inspect the window. There is a big, sharp kitchen knife matching the set in her kitchen, just laying there on my windowsill. The crazy part is, whoever was in the house would have had to go to the kitchen out of this wooden set holder I had. That being literally right beside my parents' bedroom door. So whoever it was knew my house real well. Maybe the guy who had me go to his house was involved somehow? I don't know. But that was a huge wake-up call for me. A few years ago, my mother was having some trouble that required her to call the exterminator. And she asked if I would go to her house and let the guy in. She told me to not leave him alone and to follow him around and ask questions, as she said. Uh, I wasn't sure what kind of questions she meant, 
but I mean, sure, I can open the door and follow someone around and maybe annoy them. The exterminator arrived, and I followed him from room to room, asking whatever questions came to mind at that moment. Uh, like stuff, stuff like, have you been getting a lot of calls for stink bugs? Or did you ever need to get a rabies shot? <laughs> uh, uh, what, what's the largest thing you ever had to exterminate? Stuff like that. So for an hour, I followed this man while he patiently answered my ridiculous questions. And uh, he said he enjoyed our conversation. Two days later, though, I am watching the news and see that the body of a local doctor was found bound in her basement. And her corpse was lit on fire. The very next day, the news flashes a photo of the man arrested for the murder of the doctor. And he looked very familiar to me. So I guess you know who I saw. And I got a full body chill. It turns out that the doctor was having an issue with mice and called an exterminator. The same one that my mom had called. The day after I was asking this man so many questions, stuff like, do you ever get a rabies shot? Or what's the largest thing you had to exterminate? You know, stuff like that. Uh, he apparently snapped because the doctor was rude, apparently. And for him, asked too many questions and talked down to him. It's one of those things that make you feel that you were so close to something horrible happening. And I, I mean, whatever it was that made him hold back whatever evil intentions he would have eventually. I'm so glad that I'm alive to tell this. And I hope that the poor victim is resting now in peace. First off, some background info. I'm from Latin America and immigrated to Australia. This happened when I was super young, so places and ages are a bit blurry to me, but I was about eight and my sister was five. My grandma and aunt came to visit, and I believe this happened when we were visiting Sydney Opera House. The six of us were just walking and admiring the surroundings in front of us. I was just at that age where I thought I was a big girl and I didn't want to hold my mom's hand and my sister copied everything I did, so I was walking beside my mom and my sister next to me. No one else noticed as they were talking and taking pictures. Also, the fact that grandma was kind of frail, so the attention wasn't really on us as much as on her. I suddenly had a bad feeling. I tried to brush it off at first, but it was getting harder to ignore. It was when I looked next to me that my sister was gone, completely disappeared, that my heart completely dropped. 
In my panic, I looked around, but it was when I looked behind me and saw these men holding my sister's hand and leading her away. I still remember this so vividly. There were four of them. They were wearing suits and they looked like foreigners too. Stupid me didn't tell my parents straight away. Instead, my adrenaline made me run to her and grab her. I just shouted at her. What on earth was she doing? I, I was too young to really understand, but my sisters always got a lot of attention as a kid. And she was too polite and she was just frozen when I grabbed her. My parents finally noticed and ran over. If this was back home, they'd be screaming at these weirdos to screw off. But here, not being able to fluently talk the language at the moment, they were just as clueless as me as to what to do and weren't sure how confrontational or not they should be. The man who was holding her hand let go as soon as he saw my parents come to us. He acted so calmly, this guy. He said something along the lines of, Oh, I'm sorry, we just saw her wandering and assumed she was lost and wanted to help. Yeah, sure. He took out his phone and took a picture of her right there. He just said, She's so beautiful, I just need to show my friends. Well, I'm glad we found her for you. Bye. He said this kind of stuff so casually and just walked away with the other three men there. Oh, I might mention that none of them said a word or made any kind of facial expression. It was just so weird. Again, my parents were shocked and didn't know what to say. My dad just scooped her up and walked to where my grandma and aunt were, just trying to forget what had happened. We tried to enjoy the rest of the day. We didn't really know what else to do. I held my mom's hand as they continued to try to enjoy the day, mostly for my grandma's sake. After all, this was for visiting our family. Still, every time I looked behind me, I noticed the same men following and just stopping and pretending to look around when I saw them. I did tell my mom they were following, but they acted as though nothing was wrong and I was making a big deal out of nothing. Remembering the story before made me think about how irresponsible they were, I guess, but I mean, now I can understand that it was some way that they thought it could calm everyone down. At least after a while, they did actually disappear and the day flew by uneventually. But after all these years, I still think about this often. Who were they? What did they want with my sister? Was she going to be kidnapped? Trafficked? Maybe she really did just wander off for a second and they were just really nice men who wanted to help. Uh, it didn't explain why they took a picture of her though and followed us after. Uh, but maybe those were just coincidences too. I mean, uh, uh, at least my sisterly instinct kicked in when it did and who knows what would have happened otherwise. I hope that those men never tried anything else like that on any other kids. For the next story, 
If anybody here is too young to know the ASL of the chat rooms, that is what you would write on chat rooms to ask the other person's age, sex, and location. And we would answer naively. It was a different time. I remember clearly those days when that was the norm. <laughs> anyway, here we go on to the next story. Remember the early days of the web? AOL software upgrades arrived in the mail on a CD-ROM. Family members shouted across the house at one another if an incoming call on the landline interrupted the painstaking 10 minutes it took to get from the America Online sign-in screen to hearing, you've got mail, throughout the room. Recipients of multicolored chain emails truly pondered the threat against their luck for the next seven years if they didn't abide by the messages command to forward it to seven friends. Better not risk it, we told ourselves, as we quickly typed out seven email addresses in the recipient field. And finding everything there was to know about a person online, something anyone can do today with a few keystrokes and a credit card, was a lot harder to do back then. But not for Corey. I was 15 years old. At the time, ambiguous and exotic usernames like Pina Colada 33 or Brunette Baby 87 were all the rage. Naive as we early screening pioneers were, this anonymity was smart. Social media was in its infancy. Zanga was a go-to haven for teens and tweens to vent their angst while informing the world they were currently listening to Screaming Infidelities by Dashboard Confessional. Everyone was friends with Tom on MySpace. AIM didn't exist as a standalone messenger service just yet, so it was MSN Messenger or bust. But if you had a true AOL account like I did, you were set up with all you needed to discover this new, hyper-connected, free-for-all world of the early 2000s World Wide Web. Your own email inbox, a new page to create a personal profile, access to chat rooms on just about any topic or hobby you could possibly imagine. It was exhilarating until it was terrifying. One afternoon, I jumped into one of these chat rooms. A slash S slash L question mark 16 slash F slash Boston. I watched the usual exchange between total strangers scroll across my screen for several minutes, hoping to find my opportunity to finally chime in and introduce myself. Ultimately, I got bored and left the chat without typing a word. Bleep. An instant message appeared on my screen. You didn't say anything, the message read. Why not? Who is this? I responded, confused by the username I didn't recognize. I'm Corey, he responded. I'm 16, 8th grade in Lake Charles, Louisiana. What about you? 16 and in 8th grade? Yikes, and yet I was intrigued. So, you get held back twice or what, I teased. And so the conversation began. We struck up a brief online friendship that afternoon. He shared a photo. Freckle face, brown hair. Nothing I'd rate above a 5 on hot or not. Yet. Despite the friendliness, I refused to tell him where I was from or anything personal about me beyond my first name and age. I knew little about the dangers of the internet, but I wasn't dumb either. My username was a fruity drink and some numbers, right? Safe enough, I figured. 
For background, I did have one of those AOL user profiles. Its standard features included a profile picture and a questionnaire to fill out fun facts about yourself. My photo was one of me with several friends, with no indication of which one was me whatsoever. A few days later, Corey messaged me out of the blue. You're beautiful. What? Brunettes with green eyes, man, he responded. Somehow, despite my photo containing other three friends, he'd accurately identified me. I would love to see you sometime. I would love to see you sometime. I felt my skin prick. I politely told him something to the effect of that not being possible and quickly logged off. Friday the following week, I was sleeping over at my best friend's house. I was logged into my account in the background as we thirstily browsed cute guys on Hot or Not. Bleep, who's messaging you? My friend asked. I knew it. It was Corey. Hey, you live in Houston. Your parents are James and Sarah Miller. And you live at 1655 South Grand. Of course, these city names and addresses have been obviously changed. You know that feeling when you're on a roller coaster during a sharp drop and your heart jumps into your throat? That was the moment. Fortunately, we managed to find that AOL did, in fact, have a block user feature that night. That was a so long creepy 16-year-old middle schooler with scarily good online sleuthing skills. It didn't last long. The next day, a screen name similar to Corey's messaged me. That was it. The next day, a screen name similar to Corey's messaged me. He had another account. I quickly blocked it. This happened five more times. I finally went dark for a while. Sure, I missed the thrill of seeing the yellow envelope appear in my virtual mailbox, but it was better than the threat of being harassed by Corey. A few weeks later, I got home from school. My little sister was a baby at the time, 14 years my junior. So she had a nanny who stayed with her during the day while my parents were at work. When I walked through the door of the kitchen, she handed the phone to me. It's for you, she said with a quizzical look on her face. Who is it? I really don't know. Some boy with a twang in his voice. Sounds like he's from East Texas or Louisiana. Oh, God. Hello? I finally muttered into the phone. Hey, pretty thing, it's Corey. Hey, so my friends and I are all into the show, Jackass. We're thinking of making a trip over to Houston and doing some pranks around town next week. How hilarious would it be if we surprised you at your front door? I choked out a nervous laugh. I mumbled an excuse about having a quiz the next day and quickly hung up. For the next few weeks, I slept with a knife under my mattress. I was absolutely terrified I'd wake up to this Lake Charles stranger boy on the balcony outside my window. How did he get my phone number? Just as soon as he'd invaded my sense of security, he seemingly disappeared. No instant messages, no uninvited calls to my home. The knife finally went back to his respective kitchen drawer. Two months passed and it felt gloriously safe. 
until the phone rang the first week of summer break. Hi, the voice said curtly. Who is this? I politely demanded. It's me, Corey. Let me be clear. This wasn't the same voice I'd heard two months ago. That voice was dripping in southern syrup. It was young and full of mischief. This new voice was different. It was cold. It lacked any discernible accent. It was older. I was speaking to a grown man. I'm sorry I haven't been able to talk to you, he hurriedly blurted. Why did he sound rushed? I feel terrible, but the police came to my house. They took my computers away from me. I can't say why, but don't worry, I'll come to Houston soon. Click. That was the last day I used that username. I deleted that account and created a new one. I embarrassingly told my parents I'd made a huge mistake, despite having shared nothing that could have easily revealed my personal identity. Even if I had, the threat back then wasn't what it is now. This was nearly 20 years ago. People simply didn't have the online presences that they do today. As a teenager with no social media yet, I was virtually a ghost, but still I was convinced I was somehow culpable for this stranger, this man, a predator who clearly had advanced knowledge of computers and the internet, singling me out and making it his mission to learn everything about me through whatever means possible. He was determined to get to me. I'm only grateful that even at 15, I knew better. I knew better than to trust that this freckle-faced kid from an online chat room had fully benign intentions. Two decades later, I still wonder where Corey ended up. Hopefully behind bars. Okay, everyone, I hope you liked this week's stories. I'm a bit partial to the last one uh, about Corey. It reminds me of when I started to use the internet. Actually, I also started with AOL because that was the thing, you know, in school, everybody. I'm giving away my age a little bit, but it was, you know, we were that generation growing up with the internet. And uh, the beginning of, does anybody remember those, um, what's it called, ICQ, that type of stuff? And uh, yeah, I would also go into the chat rooms and just drop into any that seemed kind of interesting. And and I wonder how many times I could have crossed with someone lying. (laughs) I I don't know, maybe I'm jaded, but I think most of the people that were writing their information were probably lying. Maybe things have changed so much you know there was a live journal and what's it called dark journal Uh, I think it's something our parents probably must have been really worried about meeting these random people on the internet and being new at at online socializing I'm glad that I never had this type of clearly scary encounter although Personally, I 
I did have the situation where my AOL got cut out. So the person that I was a friend with, who I didn't know, was, I guess, nice to me and let me use his account so I could sign in for a while because I didn't have AOL. My, my parents changed to something else. I think because I was wasting too much time on it. But I remember so I could sign in and still be part of the chat room that we used to hang out in. He sent me the account and I could be a guest account. And now I kind of, <laughs> I, I, and my mind boggles a little bit thinking about why this stranger would give me this access. I mean, I wasn't paying or anything so I could use the internet that this person was paying for. It's weird, right? But there was no, there seemed to be no ulterior motive and it never got creepy, you know? So I think maybe it was some kid who was just making a really dumb choice of giving their information away and their password so that people could sign in. And I think I was, I was, naive, I was innocent enough and uh, also never thought to use that in any advantage more than just, hey, let's go on and go to the chat room at this time and let's hang out in there. Maybe it was a case of two people that were pretty good intentioned. <laughs> but I don't know, I could have dodged a bullet there, I'm not sure. Anyway, I hope you like this week's stories. And last week there was a little bit of a problem with my feed, but now everything is fine. And I'm so excited to keep making these episodes for you guys. Everyone stay safe. And... And please subscribe and rate if you can. Also, my Instagram is listed on the show notes. And now I also have a Facebook page that I have opened. I go on Instagram a lot, a lot and I post stuff about not just uh, related to the podcast, but I've had a little bit of feedback that people like when I post stuff about my daily life in Japan, just small stuff. Um, you know, people find it interesting. I don't know. I'm going to keep doing that. Maybe people like it. I don't know. What do you guys think? And um, also, I have signed up for Patreon and Coffee just because, uh, you know, making the podcast takes up a bit of resources for software and uh, hardware, hosting, that type of stuff. But, uh, you know, be, uh, mo- most of all, just subscribing is, uh, and following is the best thing that you can do to help me. I really want to keep on with this and eventually maybe expand onto something else. But uh, this is really fun for me. I hope you guys are having fun listening to me too. Okay, see you next week, guys. So good morning or good night, wherever you are. This has been Elise with And Then It Got Weird.